Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is three past nine here on Mornings with Smithy. Uh, Smithy is away, obviously. He's uh, over in Australia, part of the commentary team for the Chapel Hadley series. So I'm filling uh, Smithy's boots this week. And we've got a big show coming up, of course, on Monday's always big, reviewing all the action from the weekend. Tony Johnson, he called the big test in Hamilton on the weekend. He's going to join us shortly to talk the uh, the All Blacks getting the big win over the Pumas, uh, the best the All Blacks have looked in a while. Can we uh, can we put that run of form in the rearview mirror now and, and look forward? We'll get TJ's take on that. After 10 o'clock, we're going to go to the UK, catch up with Ben Ransom from Sky Sports and talk English Premier League football. A couple of big results this morning. Uh, Brighton, Hove Albion continue their great form. 5-2 winners over Leicester City. The former Premier League champions now bottom after six games with just the one win, losing 5-2 the first time that Brighton had, shipped five, uh, had scored five goals in the top flight in their history. And then we saw Manchester United beat Arsenal and take their unbeaten record uh, 3-1 at Old Trafford as well. So we'll talk to Ben Ransom about all of that and the action from across the weekend. After 11, the Eel Whisperer Andrew Voss is going to join us and we will talk rugby league. The last round, Robin, is done and we can look forward to finals football now. We've got all that plus stump by Smithy. We'll have a cricket update for you as well with Razine. Uh, we'll have a TAB update and uh, we'll talk some horse racing as well with uh, Mark Clayton hopefully a little bit later on. Well, credit where credit is due. The All Blacks have turned on a performance worthy of the jersey, beating Argentina 53-3 in Hamilton. I've been pretty vocal about how New Zealand rugby Andy and Foster have failed the team of 5 million, but I think we saw, in that bounce-back win against the Pumas, a glimpse of light at the end of what has been a very long, very dark tunnel. Now, I'm not about to get carried away and believe everything is fine now. I mean, there's every chance that that light could be a train coming the other way. And we have turned in poor performances off the back of bounce-back wins before this season, but it did feel different. The attack was a lot more dynamic. We're hitting the line at pace and with purpose, something we've not really seen since before the last World Cup. We're hitting holes rather than deliberately running into contact and trying to outmuscle the opposition for the sake of it. A lot of credit will go to Joe Schmidt for his tactical acumen and to Jason Ryan for improvement at the breakdown and the set piece against a very physical Puma side. A side who have shown with a series win against Scotland, thrashing Australia in the second test, and that first win against the All Blacks on New Zealand soil, that they will be a threat in France next year. 
Next up, it's the Wallabies in Melbourne and an opportunity to lock the Bledders lower weight for another season. Do that, and I may just start believing that we have really turned a corner and can look forward to a Northern Hemisphere tour without apprehension. Threatening to go coast to coast here. Harvey, beautiful ball away to Sam Kane. And Johnny Baird is in. That's a brilliant try. Hardy Savia takes it quickly off the back. Sends it away. Barrett, 50 up for the All Blacks. Outstanding response under all sorts of pressure from the All Blacks. They have thumped Argentina by 53 to 3. Yeah, 53-3 to was the uh, final score in that test match on the weekend. And the man who called that game, the man whose voice you just heard, Tony Johnson, joins us now from Sky Sports. G'day, TJ. How are you? Morena. Ricardo, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, what was your takeaway from that match, particularly given how the first test went in Christchurch? Uh, well, it's a lot more fun uh, when the team's playing well and, and uh, you know, you know, you're not going to have a week full of recriminations and what have you. No, but I, I, it was a it was a terrific performance. Uh, you could argue that uh, Argentina just weren't able to replicate the intensity and the passion that they'd shown in Christchurch. It's very difficult to do that, and I think this rugby championship has proven that. Is that I think uh, Argentina are the only team so far uh, after four rounds of play. They're the only team that have strung together two wins in a row. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, and we've still got two rounds to go. So whoever can, can do it from here on in uh, will we'll probably win the title. Um, so it, it's just been that sort of a championship. But I, I thought this, um, you know, outside the, the win in uh, Johannesburg, which was obviously terrific when you consider where they were playing, but just in terms of the quality of the performance, I think this was probably, um, in terms of the rugby that they produced over 80 minutes, this was their best of the year so far. Yeah, I think it's been uh, been far and away the, the the best performance of the team, and, and we have I don't know if you heard, but I was I was just uh, did a bit of a spiel at the top there and just talked about how things seem to have changed. We seem we did have for a while this um, preoccupation with trying to outmuscle the opposition and run over them rather than playing smarter and hitting gaps. We we've definitely seen a, a bit of a tune up in terms of tactics, haven't we? Yeah, although it's hard to do one without doing a bit of the other. And I think what we saw on Saturday night was was a balance that we know that um, it, you, know, it, it, you can't expect new coaching influences to change things overnight. And, uh, you know, you start to see, we've obviously seen the impact of Jason Ryan because the forward effort was much improved, uh, but also... You know, the structures brought in um, by Joe Smith, but also, you know, that ability, that innate ability of New Zealand players and that preference for New Zealand players to, to play what's in front of them. Uh, and I think, it, you know, it's about getting the balance right. There are certain things that you have to do before you can start to, to move the ball and look for space and all those sorts of things. And, you know, that, that was what was encouraging about it. it. It was a really positive step in the right direction. I mean, you know... It's just another round of the championship in a way, and, and that you know there's still the Bledisloe Cup ahead, uh, and that, that's a, that's a really important trophy. But I think if they can kick on from this, then 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 maybe uh, it, it might just allay 
some of the, um, the you know the fears and the angst that seems that have been you know doing the rounds in recent times. As I say, it, it is a step, a, a very good step in the right direction, but it's just a step at this point. Well, I guess that's the, the the one thing that has held me back from saying you know after that performance, oh, you know everything's everything's rosy now is that we've had these bounce back wins and then um, turned into poor performance the following week. You know, we saw that um, against the box. We saw that uh, against the Argentinians as well. Yeah, um, but again, I think that comes down to uh, just the, the evenness of the competition to a degree, um, that, that, that you know, everyone's doing the same thing. You know, it's a sort of a win-loss, win-loss type scenario. I mean, you know, the Australians were very good uh, against um, the Springboks in the first test in Australia, and then, and then on Saturday they hardly fired a shot. They were poor. Uh, you look at the Springboks in South Africa; they were definitely the better team in the first uh, test against the All Blacks, and then they they couldn't replicate that in the second. It, you know, it, it's it's very hard to generate uh, the physicality, the intensity, the emotion, the focus, all of those things. Or, although the teams are finding it hard to do those things you know, two weeks in a row, and the team that can get on top of that, as I say, they'll, they'll be the ones to, to go to and win. You know, the All Blacks now, they've got um, a turnaround. It's not quite a two-week turnaround because the next test is a Thursday test. But I think they'll really want to kick it on and, and take advantage of an Australian team that's, you know, that was showing a lot of promise but have certainly got some issues. That, that They'll want to make sure, A, that the Bledisloe Cup gets put away another year. Uh, you win in Melbourne and you've done that because it's just two test matches this year for the Bledisloe Cup and, and secondly uh, you, you know they've got a, a one point lead. Um, you, know, you know they're now in pole position and, and, and I guess they'll, they'll want to consolidate that with a, with a good win um, while the Aussies, um, sorry, while uh, the Pumas and the Springboks battle it out in Buenos Aires. Yeah, just on that, I mean, what do you think about the uh, the Pumas? We saw them, you know, obviously put the Wallabies to the sword, you know, beat them by 30 points in that second test. They beat us for the first time in New Zealand last week. What chance do you give them of taking a test off the box this season? Oh, I think they've got a good chance of taking a test off the spring box because, you know, the first one's at home. That'll be their big hope, uh, and they'll fire up for that um, in front of their home fans. And, you know, that'll be a difficult trip for a... For a um, South African team, you know, they'll go back to South Africa and they'll head off and, um, you know, it'll be brutal because they've both got gigantic forward packs. Um, but, no, I, I think they're a, a, a good side. They've got terrific players. Um, and, and let's not forget, they've got a couple of good players out at the moment, Sanchez and De La Fuente, missing from their back line. I'm not sure what the chances are of getting them back. Um, but I think they missed them a bit, um, certainly, at the weekend. But, Again, to me, it just comes back to, you know, Michael Checker is an emotional man. He's a very good coach, obviously, um, but, you know, powerful emotion is very much part of his uh, stock and trade. And, you know, I think the difficulty of, of, of ramping the team up to that level every week was, was evident on, on, on Saturday, and that's going to be the big challenge. I think um, that, you know, it's funny how it's so tight that they went from the top of the table to the bottom of the table in the space of a couple of hours, but... Like everyone else, they are still very much in the hunt for this championship. Yeah, they are. They, I think they've shown too, uh, it's going to be interesting their Northern Tour because they do play France on their Northern Tour and they've been a bit of a bogey yeah. team for the French, but I think everybody's eyeing the French at the moment as being 
uh, I wouldn't even say dark horses, but probably the favourites for the World Cup next year. So it'd be interesting to see how they go there. It was interesting. I had Steve Devine on uh, with us yesterday on the rugby run, and he he went, uh, All Blacks are winning this 13-plus while watching the warm-ups, he said, because the intensity wasn't there in the Pumas warm-up, and they were dropping balls left, right, and centre and things. So, yeah, it is getting that consistency, but uh, you've got to give it to yeah. Checker and Kid. Well, they have improved things there. Yeah, for sure. But they, they just didn't make a good start. I mean, I think Love and Nini dropping that early pass and, and the All Blacks, you know, just took up, um, you know, set up camp really in the half. Um, and from from there, you know, it kind of sapped, you know, a little bit of the uh, the, the edge out of the, the, the spring ball. Uh, sorry, the, the, the Pumas getting off to that bad start. Um, and, and conversely, uh, you know, the All Blacks, you know, the things that we were looking for them to improve, obviously one was the discipline. I think the penalty count ended up quite even. Um, but, but also the ball handling, the skills had let them down. And this time, the accuracy was so much better. And I think I made the point with about, I think it was about uh, seven or eight minutes to go in the game. I can't remember exactly. But at that point, for all the ball that they'd had, the All Blacks had dropped it twice. And, and to me, that, that says a couple of things. Firstly, uh, they'd obviously focused on it. They'd put the work in. They realised in the wet conditions that it was going to be important. But secondly, I think they've made a few adjustments to the team. Um, and little things like that. I think the skill levels that uh, the likes of George Bauer, Ethan DeGroote, uh, Tyrell Lomax with his league background, obviously, um, you know, good, good ball handler. That they, they, look, they looked after the ball a whole lot better. And the kicking game was so much better. So much more effective. It obviously encouraged more. And let's mix it up a bit. Drop one in behind the line, or, or put an angle kick. Put one out to the wing. You know, Harvey there to take a bit of um, kicking pressure off him as well. I thought those that was that was another really big improvement in the All Blacks. Was their their kicking game was just so much more effective. Has this um, has this put test um, put the Barrett Mwanga? Argument to rest? Do you think you think Moanga's now the, te- the our starting ten? Um, I think it's put it to rest for another week or so. Um, <laughs> I, I think on the, the, the it's never going to go away, mate. And and uh, you know we've we've had these sorts of issues in in the past, you know, um, and it's nothing new in New Zealand rugby. You, you've got two prodigiously talented players, neither of whom have up until now really grabbed that role. That that, that that you know Dan Carter vacated um, after his fantastic career. Um, you know they've they've both had their moments. Barrett at times is just astonishingly good. Uh, Richie Maunga, we we know what he's capable of uh, from the Crusaders. Hasn't always been able to replicate that at Test levels. So I think that's something that'll go on. But I would say that on the basis of what we saw on Saturday night, that that Maunga definitely does deserve to start again in the Test um, in, in in Melbourne. I think he's earned that right. But, you know, what an amazing talent to have in the mix in, in Bowden Barrett as well. Um, you could say, you know, if both of those guys are playing to the best of their ability, it's, a, it's an incredibly good problem to have. Uh, if neither of them are playing to the best of their abilities, then it becomes a conundrum. Mm, yeah, no, it's well said, mate. Um, we also saw uh, the captain, Sam Kane, really step up in, in his hometown of Hamilton. Uh, probably his best game for a couple of years, I think, really big on defence in that first half. And, and then in the second half, uh, when the All Blacks had the go forward, he, he was hitting holes really well too with the ball in hand. Well, I, his, his best, he was brilliant in Johannesburg, mate. I, I, I think that 
Sam Kane to me has become a bit of a target. And and yes, uh, he did slip off a couple of tackles um, in the game in Christchurch for sure. But um, he, he's been um, leading the tackle count for the team. Uh, he, you know, I, I, I speak to players who played with him or against him in recent times, and and I know that um, Kane Haynes. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this because you know Kane, the guy that I, I work with a lot. And, and the comment that he made to me is that he doesn't think there's a, a more well-regarded or respected player in, in the game in New Zealand. Um, but, but as I say, I think Sam Kane became a bit of a whipping boy. Um, and, and to me, some of the... the uh, and, and again, because it's a little bit like the old Ken Rutherford-Martin Crow thing. Um, slight, you know, different style with Artie. Uh, you've got Dalton Papali'i in the mix as well. Um, but but to me, uh, he just underlined what a good player he is, and it was a phenomenal performance. And I, I, you know, I tell you what, the uh, the ice baths would have got a workout in the Pumas camp as a consequence of some of the, the hits he put in on Saturday night. Yeah, we've had a few texts come through actually about uh, a few of those things you mentioned. Uh, this one just came through from James. He said, "Is it me, TJ, or were the ABs now using a, a rush defence? Their line speed was awesome. Is that Schmidt making his presence felt?" Um. Yeah, I just I think it was more just the accuracy of their defence um, rather than uh, a new defensive uh, setup or, or, or tactic. Um, but but by the same token, I, I think the key was the heat that they put on the Pumas around the breakdown. Uh, I, that's where I saw them uh, really attacking them. Uh, Kubeli came in and, you know, you think, well, that's probably not a bad move. It's probably going to be a night for kicking. It might work out well for them. But uh, they put a lot of heat on him. Uh, they the, Just the way they, you know, aggressively uh, attacked the breakdown, but smartly this time. You know, you didn't see guys going in the side or off their feet or whatever to, to the same degree that they had. So, again, I think, you know, that the, the defence was good. I mean, any time keeper a team trialist, the defence has to have done its job. But I, I just think, you know, combination, the heat they put on, uh, they didn't allow them a lot of room, but also, you know, the, 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 um, the, the Pumas after, after a bad start just, just couldn't hang on to the ball with any any consistency in the face of just really resolute and impactful tackling. It's... Um Things definitely improved at the breakdown. We saw that. We we saw Akira Yuani um, drop the course, and um, we've seen you know changes there in in, in the six jersey. I mean, now that Brody Retallick is back, and we saw him off the bench, and he was really impactful off the bench. Do you think against the Aussies in Melbourne, we go back to Scott Barrett at six, or do you think Frizzell's done enough to hold that position? Um, yeah, not. I don't think they necessarily have to make that change. I think Frizzell's another player who you, you've just looked for, um, for for consistency of effort. I, I think he's been very good over the last two tests. He was a very good line-out option uh, on the back of the very accurate throwing from Samasoni Tokiaho. You know, mm. he's firming up as, as, as a, my candidate for Player of the Year the way he's going. Um, but but. Uh, you know, again, uh, just really strong at the tackle. The All Blacks uh, clean out at the breakdown was so much better as well that they were that they got their system right about the way they were attacking the breakdown off their own carries, and you know he was paramount in that as well. So now I, I, I think he probably deserved um, to, to stay there. Uh, I don't think they'll look to make too many changes at all. 
um, for, for the for the test in Melbourne. Um, you know, off, off off the back of this, but again, what it is, what it is doing, it's it's starting to give All Blacks, um, you know, with Britallic back in the mix and how good it was to see him, but now it's strengthened the All Black bench so much uh, to have, like on this occasion, um, Barrett coming off the bench, uh, two Barrett, uh, sorry, uh, Bowden Barrett coming off the bench, Britallic coming off the bench. So you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't necessarily stray too much from what they put out at the weekend. I think they deserve another day. We did have a text come through saying I enjoyed watching the AB's performance. They played really well. Uh, the main discussion was how poor the Argentinians were. It's easy to play well when you're not being tested. At 3-0, you could see who was up for it and who wasn't, and I called a 40-point yeah. AB win there. What are you, are you Are you nervous about Melbourne at all, TJ? Or how much from this performance can we take forward into that Australian series? Well, firstly, I'd say that's a very much a glass-half-empty approach. Um, you know, we, we, yes, the, the the Pumas probably were a notch below what they were in Christchurch, um, but but by the same token, they weren't allowed to be good. Um, the you know mistakes that they made were punished. Um, so you know, I, I think just much as I think people were a bit reluctant to give the Pumas, you know, sufficient credit after their performance in Christchurch. Um, you know. Let's sort of you know balance things out by saying yeah they they weren't as good but maybe they weren't allowed to be as good they weren't allowed a foot in the door um, yeah look just in terms of Australia uh, they'll, they'll be really disappointed uh, with how they went at the weekend after such a good performance the week before um, and and you know they've got a few issues it looks like Taniela Tupo those traitorous calves of his are playing up again. And they'll be struggling to get him back into shape. Um, you know that, that that's still to me they haven't quite got it right uh, at ten. Uh, Karevi's not there. I just just want the absence of talismanic players like that. The impact that it's ha- going to have on the team that that's going to be a big challenge for Dave Rennie. But don't worry, uh, Rennie, as we know, he's a very smart man, and he will be cooking something up for this uh, Bledisloe Cup test. So, in, in a way, Ricardo, it, it all just starts again in Melbourne, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so, mate. Very much so. Are you heading over there? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, going over, what's it, Tuesday next week. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we're back. We're indoors too. We're uh, we're, uh, uh, we're at, I can't remember what they call it now. Marvel um, Stadium. So I enjoyed going over there uh, early on in the year when it was over for uh, the, the Super Week. Um, and it'll, it'll be great because there'll be a terrific atmosphere there. Melbourne's such a great sporting city, and uh, you know the the Bledisloe Cup. That 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 that's um, something that New Zealand has. That's a trophy that we still have that they will not want to let go, and something Australia having lost it in what was it two thousand and three. I mean, you're coming up 20 years without it. They must be getting pretty desperate. Well, and to be fair to them, Tony, I mean, you would have been looking at the All Black performances against Ireland, and you know the the, the patchiness of this of of the rugby championship start, and thinking that they were a chance. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and look, it's just a, uh, as I say, it's a sign that this is a very even rugby championship. That, but all of the teams have got strengths, but they're all struggling for consistency of performance. And I think that's where we've seen, you know, Ireland and France in particular have been very good. That, there's no question that, that those are the leading lights in world rugby at the moment. Um, you know, France to me, uh, if they can't win the World Cup next year with the team they've got, they will never win it. Um, and, and Ireland, well, you know, 
their, their record at World Cups is patchy, but they, they, they look good. So and you can't discount England as well. So, I mean, it's, it, this rugby championship, to me, it, it's, it's, it's a time where you're, I don't know, what, 14 months, 13 months out from the World Cup. You, you know, teams really should be taking shape. Uh, you should be starting to get an idea of what direction they're heading in. And I think from that point of view, the next couple of weeks are probably going to be as important as the end-of-year tour. Yeah, uh, and the end-of-year tour as well. I mean, that's – I think I'm trying to remember who we've got. Is it Scotland and Wales and then England? I mean, I mean, really, the, yeah, well, England's going to be the test, first. isn't it? Yeah, they've got uh, Japan first. Uh, Scotland has never beaten the All Blacks, but would love to. Wales haven't beaten them since 1953, would love to. But I think the one we're all looking at is England. But, I, you know, they, they can't focus too much on England because those other test matches have to be won. Uh, England not without their issues as well, and of course uh, every time they take the field, the blowtorch is on Eddie Jones. So that's a fascinating scenario that's yet to unfold. Um, but but as I say, I, I think the immediate focus is um, on the Bledisloe Cup. And and just look at the, you know the only other thing I'd say, um, Ricardo, is that these guys that haven't been playing, you know, the, the likes of Tuivasa, Sheik, and Satutu, and there's a couple of props there that could do with a bit of. Uh, you know, a bit more rugby at provincial level as well. Let's, let's just hope that we see them in action a bit more over the next few weeks yeah. uh, because they need the game time. They just simply haven't been getting enough of it. Oh, man, and it's so good too. I mean, Harbour versus Counties and seeing Papali and Satutu in there, you know, you, that's what you want. You know, if these guys aren't going to be part of your 23, then let them go and play provincial rugby, get some games under their yeah. belt. Yeah, well, you know, Tui Vasa Sheks to me is the, is the, is the, the, the biggest, um, I, I guess, case there. That you know he you know it's just a balancing it you know where, what's he going to benefit more from playing for Auckland or training with the All Blacks and uh, the coaches of the respective sides would probably have a different argument. Mm, yeah, well that's probably fair. That's probably fair. Hey, just before I let you go, mate, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Steve Devine was with us on the uh, on the rugby run yesterday, um, and he's a bit concerned about the form. Even though we had that win, the form of Aaron Smith just thinks that the the pace has gone a little bit, uh, the pass is maybe wavering a bit, and he's at the moment. Moment, uh, I got him to rank his his top five uh, halfbacks in the country, and and it, he had Finlay Christie as his number one. That's where he would start. You you obviously called yeah. the game. I mean, what's your take been on Aaron Smith this season? Well, number one as a former international halfback, uh, Steve Devine, you've got to respect his opinion on this, uh, and a forthright opinion too. Um, that you know, it's good that you know when you do hear former internationals that are prepared to come out and question something like that. Uh, I wouldn't disagree. That uh, Aaron Smith, you know, has been a, a great player. He's been central to this uh, this All Black team, and I think they they still, you know, the, the experience factor that he brings for sure uh, is, is the reason why that you know they're still looking to start him. But uh, yeah, is he the same player that he was two or three years ago? Well, you know, you get to that age, it's very hard to be that, isn't it? Um, the answer, in my opinion, probably not. Um, they're not going to um, they're not going to drop him. Um, you know, he's still going to be a, an important part going forward. But, yeah, Christie came on late in the game. By this stage, you know, the game had broken open a bit. Uh, the All Blacks had the ascendancy. And so it's probably uh, a bit easier to come on and, and impact in, in that scenario than, than maybe it is starting when everything's on the line, everything's been ferociously fought out, a bit of pressure on. But, but Christie was very good when he came on not just in terms of his speed to the breakdown, uh, his rapid clearance, but also his support play, which is a real strength of his. Um, and 
that that great try that they scored, um, the one where they went from end to end or coast to coast. Uh, you know, he popped up after that that brilliant break by um, Rico Ioane. He was the guy that was there to, to to pop up at the right place, keep it going, and that just showed again his incredible speed and instinct to be where a halfback needs to be. So yeah, look, it's it, it, it's it's certainly uh, a discussion point. And I wouldn't, uh, I certainly wouldn't disagree uh, with, I wouldn't, it's a worry, but um, it's just something that they'll, they'll be hoping that Aaron Smith can, can retain or, or get back to his absolute best by World Cup next year because with the experience and the, the, the mouse that he brings, uh, you know, very important, he's been a very important player. Mm, yeah, he has, mate. Uh, and just uh, lastly, Brennan just texted through and said, Hey, TJ, do the ABs have a couple of beers and hang out with the opposition after a game, as I've seen the box and the Wallabies doing the sheds? I mean, that's what rugby's all about, isn't it? Having a couple of quiets afterwards? Oh, for sure. Um, and, and in fact, if anything, uh, they, they, I don't want to sound like the PR department, but they've almost been a, a bit of a leader in that regard. Uh, that, you know, things with the Aussies were. were um, you know, being frosty on and off, and and I think you know they really um, took steps to, um, you know, reintroduce the, the, the you know the beers afterwards for a while, and I think it was you know while Robbie was coaching the the Wallabies, I think the beers in the changing rooms might have stopped for a while, but, mm. but no, they, they they definitely do. And look, I, I know that people are making a lot of the um, Pablo Matera and and the way he reacted to Dane Coles and, and Coles, he did a job on him, just got right under his skin. Um, and you can argue about you know the, the rights and wrongs of all that, um, but but you know the, the little thump on the arm as they went past at the end that was yeah okay you've got me well I'll see you and you know I'll, I'll see you in, uh, next time or wherever it is Buenos Aires next year, um, but but look you know there'll be a, there's a massive respect uh, amongst all those players a lot of them you know they've played each other a lot and, and some of them you know they even become friends so it's definitely something that they do. Yeah, good stuff, TJ. Thanks very much for giving we us some time today, mate. Some things than others, though. What, I'd say. What's that? Sorry, I'd say it's probably you know a little bit easier to do it with some teams than others. Um, mm. You know, there's probably tensions involved with some of them, but no, I think uh, um, the fact, I, you know, the book that we did um, a couple of years ago, behind the silver fern. I'm not trying to get a gratuitous plug in for it, but I remember Dane Coles talking about you know after the Irish beat them in. in uh, um, Chicago, how, you know, that, that they all, I think the Irish actually instigated it, but it would have been the other way that, you know, sitting down and having a beer with Rory Best after the game and Rory Best's son there, and he just said that's what footy's all about. So, no, they, they believe in that for sure. Yeah, good stuff, TJ. Go well, mate. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers, Ricardo. Thanks very much. Uh, Tony Johnson there with us from Sky Sports Course called the Test Match on the weekend. And uh, that was a, yeah, a great bounce back from uh, the All Blacks. Uh, now, we've just had uh, the IndyCar finish and I didn't see the, fi- uh, the final results, but I do know that Scott McLaughlin was leading and Scott Dixon was third the last I looked. Um, I know Will Power, there you go, finished, started second, finished second. Uh, Logan, um, how did it finish, mate? Can confirm. Scott McLaughlin picked himself up another win there in IndyCar. Amazing nice. season he's having so far. Yeah, and uh, Scotty Dixon finished third. So that closes, I think, the uh, the gap at the top of the championship to just 20 points, which is nothing. Uh, so she is all on. Scott McLaughlin's gone up. I think he's up to about fifth in the Drivers' Championships as well. So, uh, yeah, good to see. Good to see.
Uh, it's time for the latest air news and sport with Araha now, and then we're going to open the phones 0800 811 and get your thoughts from the weekend sport. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 chemist warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. That is the number here for um, uh, talkback lines. Uh, open now and a fifty dollar chemist warehouse voucher on the line for you as well. Whatever you want to talk, uh, you can give us a bell. Uh, you know you want to talk that All Blacks performance against the Pumas. Is it a light at the end of the tunnel? Have, have we turned a corner? What are your thoughts on that? What are, maybe it's the Warriors? They've played their last. Uh, game of the season and, and what a Warriors performance that was uh, choking on a 16 point lead to lose and golden point extra time to the Gold Coast Titans who have been awful all year as well uh, so we can talk the Warriors and, and what's to come for next season maybe you're a Premier League fan and you want to talk the big games from the weekend Liverpool, Man City both dropping points Arsenal losing their first game of the season as well uh, and plenty of VAR controversy as you heard from Araha in the news there as well uh, get on the blower 0800 150 811 is the number of $50 chemist warehouse voucher up for grabs. Dean from Dunners. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Um, what, what did you make of that performance in Hamilton? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. But for me, it's just a, it's a wee bit, if I'm allowed to say it, warriors-isk. Like, I don't want the All Blacks, and it's not arrogance, I don't want the All Blacks to play when they're about to get dropped, sacked, or have to look for a real job to play good rugby. Like, I expect, and I think the majority of the rugby-loving public expect that sort of performance every week. Mm-hmm. Now, if they get beaten playing like that, no problem at all. But when they're playing like a limp twig and berries, I don't like that, and I get upset. And for me, the highlight, and I thought it was going to be a low light, was when Rico... Got outside his man, holding the ball in two hands like a world-class centre, and then he tucked it under his right wing. I thought, oh, no. And I think he would have scored the try, but thank God he did what he's meant to do and gave it to Caleb to just do what he does best and shoot down the sideline. So I loved it, absolutely loved it. And I think everybody watching the game loved it. The most concerning aspect for me, and I said this to Smithy a few weeks ago, the public will speak and they won't go because they're still not happy with what they're watching. And all those empty seats for me was the disappointing fact of an all-black test. Now, Argentina, tier one, they're not, they're not, I'm not going to even be disrespectful and mention any names of tier two, tier three, whatever, but that Christchurch and Hamilton weren't sold out. They should have been. Yeah, 100% they should have been. I mean, I think Christchurch did sell out. They announced the sellout on the day of the game, though. But, it took, I mean, normally you would expect the test in Christchurch when you haven't had one for so long to have been sold out weeks in advance. But uh, it, it didn't happen. There's certainly a bit of, um, I think, reluctance from the public in Christchurch, but we also saw it in Hamilton, uh, to support a team that uh, was playing the sort of rugby it was. And, you know... All, all those conversations that were coming out of head office and the criticisms of New Zealand rugby and things, I think it definitely the public picked up on it and it certainly made a difference. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it was a great performance and yeah, if they lose playing like that, you don't have a problem with it because you're getting beaten by a better team and you know you're playing to your abilities. But uh, that is not what has been happening, uh, but some great performances. And I think, yeah, Rico Ioane, uh was one of them. The way he put Caleb Clark away for that second try was superb. Uh, John is with us now. G'day, John. How are you? 
Yeah, good day, Ricardo. Man, I get a bit jealous when I look across the ditch and I see their brand new stadium. You know, with the one that the Springboks and the Wallabies played in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sydney Football Stadium. Jeez, what a brilliant stadium that is. I mean, it just amplified the noise in there, eh? Yeah, it was massive, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I mean, the only thing that was missing was a performance from the Wallabies for for, for the opening <laughs> game of that stadium. Well, yeah, exactly, mate. And we were heading down that path too. We were on that Wallabies trajectory. But um, just about the game on Saturday, totally agree with Dean, mate. Um, Rico Ioane was playing to his strengths, and that was beating the man on the outside. Harvili was excellent in setting him up, you know, those little kicks. I mean, I, I did see in previous weeks they were trying to get that flow going, but it was just, you know, it wasn't clean ball from the halfback or the, or the forwards were going backwards. But that new front row, you know, Dean's right, mate. Those young fellas from Christchurch and um, Otago, oh, my goodness. They they haven't lost a scrum, mate. Even on the um, opposition feed, they're not going backwards. They're just stable as hell. I was quite critical of Lomax at the beginning, mate, because he was getting toasted up in the Super Rugby. But he's just come out, and he's probably the form tight head prop of the competition. I well, mean, and that's yeah, been a surprise to me, good. because I, I, you know, I always thought that Tyrell Lomax was... Was a uh, was a good prop around the field and a good ball carrier, but maybe the scrummaging was the weakness in his game. But he's really shown up on that front. Yeah, and I, I think a lot has to do with um, Ryan coming into it, eh, mm. and getting that right technique done um, for Tyrell Lomax. And you can see, like he's one hundred and thirty kgs, mate, six foot five, so he's a big man, and that's a lot to move around on the pitch. But yeah, just awesome, mate, and hopefully they can keep it up. Cheers, Ricardo. No, no worries, John. Thanks very much for your call. Keep them coming through. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 A $50 chemist warehouse voucher up for grabs. Uh, if you can't jump on the blower but you want to send us a message, you can do that too. 8833 is the temper bedpost text machine number, and you can definitely uh, send us your thoughts through on that. What have you made of the way that the All Blacks have turned things around? How much of that do you think is on Joe Schmidt? Uh, with his tactics and the way they've changed the running lines and things. And, you know, to be fair to him as well, because Fozzie's taking a lot of heat, um, you've got to have uh, you've got to have a certain temperament to be Ian Foster in this situation and allow that to happen, allow the tactics to be changed. And I suppose, you know, park the ego for, uh, for a bit, not suggesting he's got a big ego, but just, you know, not let that get in the way of being the head coach, listening to someone like Joe Schmidt and implementing what they're doing because it seems to be working. So double eight double three, that is the Temper Bedpost text machine, Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Get those through double eight double three, or you can call us 0800 150 It's 17 away from 10. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The year started with a pole position and a victory to this young New Zealander. And then he went on and won at Mid-Ohio as well. Scott McLaughlin got the pole in dominant fashion yesterday. Scott McLaughlin wins the Grand Prix of Portland for his third career win. Let's go. Well done, team. He likes to call their team the Thirsty Threes, and the Thirsty Threes will celebrate tonight. 104 of the 110 laps led. That was McLaughlin's day.
Yeah, there you go. Scott McLaughlin getting the win at IndyCar this morning. Scott Dixon coming in third and closing the gap at the top of the championship to just 20 points. Uh, another Scott, I'm pretty sure it's not McLaughlin or Dixon, but Scott from Wellington. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, Ricardo. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Um, now, you, uh, what were you wanting to talk about, mate? You were talking ABs? Uh, talking a bit of uh, EPL and a bit of cricket, if that's all good. Yeah, mate. Yeah, no, what do you, uh, who do you follow? Uh, Everton. Everton. So, quite, quite happy after the weekend uh, to pick up their point in the Merseyside derby. Um, we obviously, you know, actually both teams had the chance to win it, and it was actually a really, really good game, and it was actually good uh, to see us making progress as well. Um, you know, obviously... After after last season, it was a pretty disappointing season and a pretty rough season to face. And, you know, there's a bit more confidence in the season with how it's going at the moment as well. And, um, you know, starting to look up a little bit. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, Lampard as a manager? I, I actually like him. I think he I think he gets, he gets the club, um, which is a good thing. Um, and I think when you look at the sort of players that we've brought in over this window, we haven't just gone like we've done over the last few years and just started throwing uh, cash at anyone, even though we haven't been, we really haven't got the money to do that. Um, but he's brought in players that will actually um, strengthen the team, especially in the defence and midfield. It would have been good to get another striker in there, I think, other than uh, Mapei. But um, I think with our, our back line, it looks a lot more solid. And obviously, we've got a good midfield with a few up-and-coming good players. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think he'll he'll go OK this season. And if we can finish mid-table compared to last year, I would be happy. Yeah, probably a bit unlucky not to get something uh, a bit more out of that game. You, the goal that was uh, ruled out for offside was pretty tight. And Virgil van Dijk could have seen red, couldn't he? Oh, he, he should have been gone. I mean, you know, the, the explanation was, oh, it was going down his leg. If it had stayed still, it, it would have been a red card. And, and, I mean, when you're taking going in studs first into the shins, uh, when the ball's well gone, I mean, I always thought that was a red card myself. Yeah, yeah, indeed, mate, indeed. All right, well, uh, good luck for, you to, for the rest of the season uh, to you, and, of course, until you come to Old Trafford, mate. Uh, and what about the cricket? What are you expecting <laughs> from the Chapel Hadley? Um, quietly... Quietly confident going into it. I, I think the thing that the Black Caps just got to get over is that mental barrier when it comes to Australia. Um, I think especially in Australia. And I know Smithy's touched on it a million times, but if they can get past that, I mean, man for man, our, our one-day team especially is just as good as Australia, I think. And, um, you know, we, we've got the explosive power at the start to, to hopefully get going, and then we've got the bowlers to back it up. So um, I, I think... You know, if if we can get get over the line in the first one, I think it'll give us that confidence for the for the next couple of games. And I mean, if Zimbabwe can do it, why can't we? Yeah, indeed, fair call, fair call. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, thanks for your call, Scott. It is eight away from ten here on SENZ. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Yeah, time for the uh, Cricket Update, and I'll tell you what, Smithy, you'll have a smile ear to ear after this result, uh, because over the weekend, Zimbabwe, who have been touring Australia, beat the full-strength Australian national team in a one-day international. Uh, They bowled the Aussies out for 141. Check this out, David Warner top scored with 94. 
So, yeah, do the maths on that. Uh, the rest of the team contributed 47 runs. Uh, after that, it reads like a phone number. Captain Aaron Finch, out for five. Steve Smith, one. Alex Carey, four. Marcus Stoinis, three. Cameron Green, three. Glenn Maxwell, he, uh, he he's the only other player to get double figures, 19. Ashton Agar, duck. Mitchell Stark, two. Zampa was one not out. And Hazelwood, out for a duck as well. Uh, so 141, the Aussies all out. And tell you, the star was a bloke called Ryan Burl. He took five for 10, the leg spinner, off three overs against the Aussies. And then Zimbabwe chased it down. They did it uh, They did it tough. They lost a few as well, but they got there with three wickets in hand and 11 overs to spare as well. And that's got to give us some confidence heading in to the Chapel Hadley. You got to know when the whole Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, and that uh, game, the first game of the Chapel Hadley is tomorrow, so that might come into the multi tomorrow, but uh, not for today. Not for today. Uh, This is my multi today. Andy Ruiz. He is fighting Luis Ortiz today. It's on live on Spark Sport at around uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon. I've got Andy Ruiz to win. I think Ortiz is a tough man, a big man as well. I don't know that Ruiz has the uh, knockout power, but I think he will win this fight. So Andy Ruiz to win by decision is paying 375 also today from the US Open, Ons Jabur, the uh, Moroccan tennis player. She's in really good form. She's a bit of a dark horse in this tournament. I've got her to beat Kudra Matova uh, at $1.75. And then tomorrow morning in the Serie A football, Atalanta to beat Monza, one of the newly promoted teams, uh, are paying $1.62. It is away, but Monza haven't uh, looked like much so far this season. So there you go. That is my multi. It returns $10.63. If you want to get on it, you can watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. In the next hour, we are going to talk English Premier League with Ben Ransom from Sky Sports. We'll catch up with Paul Mawadi from the TAB. And Mark Clayto Clayton is going to join us as well for a Love Racing update, plus the panel with Jamie Wall and Hamish Bidwell. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You're on SENZ. This is Mornings with Smithy. No Smithy this week. He's over in Australia for co- uh, for the cricket course, uh, the Chapel Hadley series. He's part of the commentary team over there. So uh, you got me in the hot seat this week for Smithy. And joining us out of the UK from Sky Sports is Ben Ransom. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good. I think um, in this part of the world, as you can imagine, I mean, we're only in the first week of September, but the fact that we're already five uh, games into the Premier League season, um, going on for six now, it's just, um, yeah, it's been a breathless start, really, with the World Cup. Everything kind of has come around really quickly. Yeah, it has, it's, it's progressed at pace, all right. And I, and I think one of the good things this season that we've seen, and probably something we didn't anticipate, or most people didn't anticipate, is how close things are. You know, just three points uh, covering the top five after half a dozen games. Yeah, um, I think especially after a couple of games, because, you know, Manchester City started really well, didn't they? I mean, they didn't have the longest pre-season, and they started fantastically well. And then we saw other teams dropping points. I mean, look, Liverpool... On the opening day, for example, Manchester United starting so poorly. And then Arsenal were the ones who set the pace. And then all of a sudden, things would just all come back together, which is what you would expect. 
Um, but yeah, what it, but what it does is it means that already at this early stage, it feels quite exciting. And especially when you, I think what that comes from is the fact that because Liverpool and Man City have set the bar so high in terms of number of points, all the teams know for them to be in contention, you have to have such a good run. You can't afford to drop many points anywhere. So when those big teams drop those points, it just gives a little bit of an, of an inkling of an idea that all the others might be able to just kind of capitalise and stay in the race. Yeah, I, th- I feel like there's two stories there with what you talked about. You, you know, we talked about Liverpool dropping more points. I mean, they've, they've really had a poor start to the season and their midfield looks negligible. Uh, but City also dropping points uh, yesterday against Villa. Uh, I think those are great storylines, but I think inversely you flip that and you think about two stars of yesteryear in the England team, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, who have really struggled in their managerial careers so far uh, and desperately needed results on the weekend and both got them against the two leading teams. Yeah, exactly. I think... um I think, yeah, look, I think actually Frank Lampard at Everton's not done a bad job particularly. He's had a fair bit of flack, don't get me wrong, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, there's been a few a few poor performances, I think. I don't think they're playing perhaps the fluid style he'd want. But look, he, he's using what he's got. They have obviously had, he's trying to get mould the squad into something that he feels can be better than last year when they only narrowly managed to stay in the Premier League. Um, so he's getting there slowly. They look a bit more defensively sound. But actually, having watched the Merseyside derby, I thought they gave Liverpool a bit of trouble, which was which was pretty pretty impressive and a big step forward for them, really. I mean, let's be honest, they've played every game until this one without a striker. So, you know, that's tough for any team, let alone Everton. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, Steven Gerrard, likewise, has been he's been under more pressure, I'd say, this year because Aston Villa have spent big again. They've backed him. The owners have backed him for, you know, for last season and this season now. He's put a lot of stock in someone like Philippe Coutinho, who has blown hot and cold and then has obviously got himself injured as well. So there was a lot more expectation, I think, on Villa to kick on this season. And the fact that results up until this weekend have been so poor has really led to a bit of a clamour and a concern that they're not going in the right direction. But then exactly what you said. I mean, to get uh, the result they did at the weekend against the so far all-conquering Manchester City team is pretty impressive. To limit them to one goal, to limit Erling Haaland to one goal, given he's already scored 10 in his opening six matches of the season, uh, is pretty remarkable. So yeah, I mean, it was a good weekend for both managers. And I think it does just show that even at this early stage, you just have to take a step back and remember we are only six games in. Do you worry at all for Liverpool, um, given their start? I mean, Nunez doesn't really seem to have settled yet, and I know the three-game suspension won't have helped, but they've got injuries in midfield. Um, You know, Thiago is still not back. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is obviously the love child of Darren Anderton because he never seems to be fit. Um, And then you've got, you know, Milner and Henderson who are workmanlike but don't really offer a lot in terms of being able to unpick defences. Yeah, I mean, I do worry for them. I think losing Sadio Mane was always... I mean, I felt it was a slightly odd decision uh, to let him go for such what seems like such a small amount of money. What was it? Around 30-odd million pounds to buy Munich. Now, I get the idea in that they were... They, they realistically... I think wages were a big thing. They could realistically only keep one of Salah and Mane in terms of their wage structure. We know that they obviously prioritised Salah because they offered him that big contract, which he has subsequently signed. Um but Mane last year was it possibly the more, certainly the second half of the season, had a better season than Salah. I mean, he creates so much, but he's so important the way their front three has played for a number of years. To take him out of that 
it's a massive, massive loss. And they've not been able to replace like for like. I mean, I don't know how you can replace like for like, really, because Mane is one of the world's best at doing what he does. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, Nunes coming in, he's done okay. I mean, getting himself sent off was just stupid against Crystal Palace. But, look, he's done okay. He looks fairly threatening again against Everton. He looked the most likely, possibly, of the Liverpool players. But he's a different player, and they're going to have to change the way they play, which is such a big ask when you're not able to get that system in shape in pre-season. And then, as you rightly point out, all those injuries in the middle of midfield, I think, have just got them so far off being able to challenge Manchester City. What they need is other teams to suffer similar kind of injuries. And, and you know, that, that's unrealistic, probably, to expect to happen to the same degree. So in that sense, I do worry and I do just wonder whether they're going to be spending all year just trying to make sure they're in and around the top two, three, four so that next year when they finally get to get a midfield target, someone like a Jude Bellingham's coming to the centre of midfield, then they can actually kick on again. But until then, it might be a slightly... I think they'll, they'll do well. There'll be games like the Bournemouth game where it all clicks, but there will also be runs and matches where I think we do look at them and think they're struggling a little bit. Yeah, Turo Mello seems a weird, uh, well, seems a pa- bit of a panic buy, and it, and it feels like maybe Jurgen Klopp's got a bit of man management to do with Naby Keita too, because it feels like those two have fallen out. Keita, he doesn't trust Keita, and uh, you know apparently Keita wasn't on the bench the other week, and he wasn't injured, so there's something else going on behind the scenes there, by the sounds of things. I think, as is often the case, when you get to, you know, it's been a very intense cycle for Liverpool. Like they, you know, they're mountain, they're Everest was winning the Premier League title after so long, wasn't it? The fact they conquered that um, in in the way they did, uh, beating Manchester City to it, who have been, you know, the standout Premier League team in the last, well, I mean, definitely the last 10 years, but realistically, the way they played, the way they've raised the bar, possibly you could say one of the standout teams we've ever seen in this division. Um, Liverpool conquering that Everest, all the celebrations that came with ending that long drought and the wait for a trophy. Obviously, it was always going to be nigh on impossible to defend because we know how difficult that is as a thing. But then, yeah, just refreshing and reinvigorating this squad now. They've all been there so long. It had been quite settled. Jürgen Klopp, obviously, the, the owners are not willing to throw the sort of money at, at it that other clubs are. You know, they spent big on Nunes. But Manchester United, for example, have eclipsed them again in terms of their spending. And they've been largely unsuccessful, haven't they, now for getting on for the best part of a decade. So it's a, it's a tricky situation for them. They're obviously trying to keep things fairly balanced. And without a big sale, because, you know, 30 million for Mane is not really going to cut it, without getting that big revenue in, they're going to struggle, I think, to compete. Because Man City, to be fair to them, they actually made a net profit, not only in this transfer window, but in this calendar year. And that's pretty remarkable when you consider it's a season when they've signed one of the world's best, if not the world's best, number nine. Yeah, you're not wrong. I was I was listening to something the other day. Somebody was talking about it, and it's, I think something that's flown under the radar is that Erling Haaland actually only cost fifty one million, uh, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot considering they spent more on Kelvin Phillips, a holding midfielder who hasn't played a minute yet. So uh, I think they've done some really good business there. Uh, we should also talk about Spurs, mate. They they got a win against a Fulham team that have taken points off Liverpool this season and have looked very dangerous, looked competitive, looked like they'll probably stay up. Uh, not too many talk. Talking about Spurs, but under Conte, they've seemed to have been able to drop the Spursy tag, and they've got a bit of uh, a bit of fight in them. They do. I think Steele is definitely what he's added, and that belief. Um, I do think you know Antonio Conte speaks a lot about the squad and where he thinks they are. And he was saying, wasn't he, last week that he he still sees them needing three transfer windows before they can legitimately be title challengers. So that's obviously not this season, not even next season, but the season after is when he thinks given if he gets all the resources, then he'll be able to get them up there. But 
Whether he'll still, still be there by that point, I don't know. But look, I think they are very much in contention. They're, they're, you know, that best of the rest tag is really up for grabs this year because I do think City is still the standout. But Spurs, Arsenal have also thrown their kind of names into that ring as well. Chelsea, I, I mean, I'm not quite sure what's going on there in terms of their recruitment. That does seem a little bit scattergun, to be honest. Uh, and also Liverpool. And then, you know, you never know, under Ten Hag, certainly in recent games, maybe Manchester United will be able to get in that mix as well. In which case, you've got a really, really intense battle. Because if you, you know, if I throw all those names at you now, all the kind of best of the rest tag, I think realistically, it'd be so difficult to pick who's going to be the best out of that. Tottenham have got every chance. Look, they're quite settled. Conte is a, a winner. We know that. They're improving. They're on an upward trajectory. Whereas perhaps you could argue Chelsea and Liverpool are maybe just at the moment just struggling to, to keep that forward progress. So in that sense, they're closing the gap. You know, Son and Kane, when they're firing together, are absolutely brilliant, aren't they? We've seen that over the last couple of seasons. And defensively, they look more sound, which has been a big problem. You talk about that Spursy tag. And it comes down to those big games, those big moments when they've just lost the plot conceded silly goals and you know not got results where needed and likewise in games against the likes of Fulham where it's quite tough and quite cagey and they're put on the back foot a little bit getting over the line getting enough goals to outscore the opposition so I think there's a lot to be encouraged about at Tottenham yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we should talk United as well. A big win for them today, beating Arsenal three one at Old Trafford to go with a two one win over Liverpool as well. Um, that's kind of put a marker down, hasn't it? And and it was interesting to see, you know, an unbeaten Arsenal. This was their first big test, and while they probably played the better football, they didn't win. I actually, I mean, look, I felt a bit sorry for Arsenal with regards to their their goal, the Martinelli goal, because look, technically by the letter of the law, it was a foul in the sense there was contact on, uh, I think it was Ericsson, wasn't it, that went down and then ultimately uh, they went and scored. But, uh, I mean, uh, the rest didn't blow up for the, it at the time. And that phrase, clear and obvious, just seems to have been completely taken away. VAR should always been about not overruling the ref and not refereeing by kind of robotics. Um, it's not about the minutiae. It's more about, did the referee see it? Did he deem that? challenge was enough to be a foul not just contact because football is a contact sport was it enough to be a foul now look there'll be Manchester United fans listening to this maybe yourself who go well come on it was a foul and look as I say if the referee has given it as a foul in the first instance and he sees it that way absolutely fine but because he doesn't I personally I do struggle with that notion that there was enough in it just to go do you know what there's a little bit of contact that's definitely what I saw with my own eyes from 20 yards away very clearly I got completely wrong. No, there's there's a feeling and there, there's a reason why he, he doesn't give that foul initially. So that's the difficulty I have with that. But look, that's not the point, is it, here? I think what the point you're making is that Manchester United got a really important win. They backed up the result against Liverpool with a victory over Arsenal. And I think that from their point of view, they are building belief. Anthony came in. Players like him have to start well. We've seen players start and continue on Bruno Fernandes case in point comes into United does really well he's been a talisman for the last couple of seasons we've seen players come in with big price tags I suppose Angle Di Maria those kind of players come in and it doesn't really work and that's it you know they're unhappy they end up leaving Anthony had to start well because he's not a player that comes with a massive reputation and a massive track record of big numbers I mean his stats in in the Eredivisie in Holland are not great in terms of number of goals and that kind of thing. But he is a player who's improving. He's clearly a player that Eric Ten Hag likes. The fact that he scored um, in his first appearance at Old Trafford is really big for him, I think. That'll give him the world of confidence. And I think, actually, there was a lot to like about some of United's attacking play. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with uh, disagree with any of that, mate. I, I think I think you're bang on. I think even Paul Scholes said he thought it was soft. Um, I, th- I think the thing is with VAR is they need to be playing these things back to the referees at full speed rather than slowed down, because slowed down. There's two hands on Ericsson's back, sort of back of his shoulder, and there is a pushing motion, and that made it look worse than it probably was at full speed uh, when they slowed it down. So I think yeah, you're onto something there. But yeah, from a United point of view, three one win over the Gunners, bank that, move on, and uh, four wins in a row. United looking up the table rather than down, which is which is positive for them. Hey, before uh, before we let you go, mate, Leicester City um, with the talent they've got. They are bottom after six games, only one point. They've just conceded five at Brighton. First time Brighton have scored five in the top flight in their history. Something is rotten behind the scenes there. How long has Brendan Rodgers got, do you think? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You're spot on with what you say about something behind the scenes clearly isn't right. Um, and you can look at the transfer business, can't you? They were the only club for such a long time not to have bought anyone. They sold players. I mean, Fafana going obviously fairly late on in the window has not helped them. Um, there was obviously a lot of speculation about Tielemans. He is still there, but his contract is up in the summer. They're lacking numbers. Kasper Schmeichel going, you know, he's been a massive part of that dressing room. Big characters have gone out of that dressing room. And clearly there was something not right. Vardy got taken off in the previous game. And there was that kind of look between him and the manager of kind of like something, you know, he didn't look quite a happy camp, whereas Vardy's normally been the man that everyone's been kind of obviously building the team around. Then he was dropped, then he was brought on in this game. Obviously, by that point, the game was pretty much gone. But yeah, something isn't right. They're conceding way too many goals. The likes of Madison, I mean, Harvey Barnes was the shadow of the player he was a couple of years, or not a couple of years ago, you know, in the last season even. Um, it's, it's not great. And the fact that they've started so badly and Brendan Rodgers must be looking around his team and thinking... Where, who am I going to select? I've tried changing it. I've tried dropping Vardy, as I say, the talisman. That's not worked. I've tried different systems. I've tried different shapes. Yes, they do have favourable fixtures to come. But, you know, it doesn't get any easier next week because they go straight into a game against Aston Villa who have now got their, you know, their best result of the season. Then they're away to Tottenham, which is a really tough place to go, as we've already discussed. And it's only then does it start to ease up with the home game against Nottingham Forest. But by that point, they could be adrift. And all of a sudden, that's a derby, don't forget. That is a, you know, that's an East Midlands derby. There's going to be so much on that game. And all of a sudden, there's so much pressure on Brendan. And someone made a good point. I was listening to a radio phone-in show uh, in this part of the world. And one, one of the ex-pros, a couple of who was, was just talking about Brendan. and just saying, look, with regards to Rodgers, everyone talks about him being this uh, master tactician. But how many of the players has he got in that squad? Has he actually improved? How many can you legitimately say have got better while he's been there? I mean, I suppose... James Madison is probably the only one really that springs to mind for me. He's got more consistent, but that's about it. And that is a worry because when a player, a manager with such a reputation, let's not forget he was being linked with the Manchester United job not that long ago. When he's struggling in such a fashion and he's not being given any help by the club in terms of resources, in terms of transfers. Yeah, I mean, that combination does not bode very well. I think, unfortunately, Brendan Lester are seeing those results on the pitch, aren't they? Yeah, they are indeed. He is the favourite in the sack race now with the bookies in the UK. I wouldn't be surprised if he walks, to be honest, because he doesn't look happy. And uh, the fact that I think he only got to keep a third of the money they sold for Fana for to reinvest says that maybe... You know, the owners are looking to sell. Maybe they're just trying to, uh, you know, sort of cut some costs and uh, we'll see what happens on that front. Hey, Ben, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Always good to chat. Go well and uh, we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Yeah, good luck this week, Ricardo. Big shoes to fill for you.
Massive, mate. Massive. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Twenty-five past ten here on SENZ Mornings with Smithy Ricardo in for him. Joining us on the panel today, Hamish Bidwell. G'day, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you, Ricardo. Wonderful to talk to you again. Yeah, well, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And um, Poneki's second favourite son and latest AFL prospect, Jamie Wall. How are you, sir? Oh, morning, Ricardo. It's good to be talking with you, mate. Yeah, good stuff, mate. How was the How was your AFL experience? I see you wearing a St Kilda kit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've made my debut for the Mount Roskill Saints. Um, uh, all I know is my legs want to fall off today, um, and if I keep doing this, I'm going to be losing a lot of weight. Yeah, well, it's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing? Yeah, yeah, it's a great... Uh, I would, though, if anyone is interested in playing, um, please uh, check out your local, local club. There are competitions in Auckland and Wellington and across the country, and so uh, I would I would highly recommend it. It was good fun. Yeah, nothing like playing a game, Hamish, where you get a point for missing, is there? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. How you feeling? How are you feeling on this Monday, mate? Have you got Have you got the pom poms out, the cheerleader outfit on uh, for the All Blacks after that fifty three three win for against the Pumas? No. So, like, um, first of all, I don't have to go to games anymore, which is an absolute pleasure. But I, I, I my pleasure would have been enhanced immeasurably if Grant was but and Ian Smith were commentating. I, I didn't enjoy that aspect of it, but. The performance was adequate. I see the team have allegedly answered some critics. So, like, if they were winning all the time and people were criticising them, then, yeah, they probably would have answered some critics if they had played well. Um, but the only reason anyone's been critical of them is they've played like drunks, you know what I mean? And that's just the, the start and the end of it. So they've answered no critics. They've turned no corners. They've produced an adequate performance against a pretty inadequate opponent uh, this week, you know? And... I know people think we're miserable and negative and, and permanently looking to muckrake as journalists, but actually the best thing in the world is to cover a team that wins because you never have to criticise anyone. Everyone's always friendly. There's no awkward moments. And so when you get the All Blacks round, it, traditionally it's been fantastic because you really have to give anyone a kicking. And that's, that's, that makes life way more pleasurable as a journalist. And no one's enjoyed criticising the All Blacks. No one's... Uh, especially enjoyed criticising people like Kane and Foster, who are reasonable people. But it's just been a necessity given how they've played. So because they played well once, great, good on them, but it means nothing to me. Well, what about you, Jamie? I mean, I watched that game and I thought, sure, that Pumas team didn't bring the uh, uh, intensity they had the, the, the week before, but it did look like the All Blacks were playing a different type of rugby. They were they were attacking at pace. They were hitting holes rather than running at the man. It, it certainly looked like there had been a tweak in the system. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that they the All Blacks obviously played very well. I think the Pumas were pretty pretty poor. Um, they reverted back to type as a team that didn't believe they could beat the All Blacks once the chips were down. They're definitely a side that needs a good start uh, in order to sort of have any chance of of. Uh, pulling pulling off uh, an upset win, um, and so when they were after De Groot had, had scored that try, you really felt like, oh yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a pretty decent day at the office for the All Blacks. And sort of backing up what Hamish said there, like yeah, it is it is more fun when they win, um, especially after the game. It is nice to go into a press conference and um, have everyone want to be want to talk to you. Uh, rather than be guarded and defensive and awkward and 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 
yeah, it's not a it's not a, a fun experience. It's an interesting experience, but it's not a fun one. Um, I think that there has there should be some mention of the refereeing, and and I'm not I'm not I don't want to have a go at any refs or or anything like that. But the difference between the interpretation, and the breakdown from Christchurch to Hamilton was pretty big, uh, and 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 Sam Kane admitted as much um, in in the post match. Um, interview. Ian Foster didn't really want to get drawn on it um, too much, other than you know he admitted that it was it was definitely a thing. Um, but the the Blacks clearly benefit from uh, the interpretations of Southern Hemisphere referees, and I think that that is going to be an issue going forward uh, into the World Cup, where we're going to be seeing probably a bit more eyes on who is controlling certain games, and therefore how that breakdown is going to be going to be controlled because. As much as the All Blacks improved over the week, I don't think they completely changed their the way that they go about um, attacking the breakdown that much in only seven days to have a what fifty point turnaround uh, in, a, in a test match. What did you make uh, Hamish of, um, or what do you what do you think is going to happen from here? I mean, if they put that performance together in Melbourne against Australia, will you will, will you start to think that maybe they have turned a corner? Um, the, yeah, the air's gone out of the tyres a little bit for me because I had invested quite a lot in the Island series and mm. then what was going to happen against the box because I thought they would be uh, they would be bellwethers. They would tell us whether this team was going to be a success going forward, whether the much talked about change at coaching level would occur. And when those results basically became meaningless, uh, I just was a little bit less enthused about the game. So there's no... You know, England at the end of the season is probably a bit of a challenge, but the rest of the games are going to be walkovers, really, let's be fair. And if they're not, then something will have gone wrong. What have they got? Australia, Japan, Wales, Scotland, England. Like, that's... I can't get enthused, and it doesn't matter because there's nothing on the results. Like, the, the whole point of the All Blacks has been that results matter. But this year we've seen that results don't matter because if the players say that the coach is a great bloke and they were working hard and learning shitload, then, like, everything's great. Like, then you can you can... You can gloss over the results. So the rest of the year they should win comfortably, but it, it, some of the impact's gone out of it because there's nothing riding on the results. Yeah, no, I, 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 I pick up what you're saying. What about you, Jamie? I mean, uh, we do go to Melbourne next Thursday for that first game against the Wallabies. We've seen performances from the, this All Blacks team where they've won after a loss and thought, oh, OK, good, here we go, and then they've turned into another poor performance. What are you expecting over yeah. in Oz? Yeah, well, I mean that's that's why this game for me is pretty interesting because they've gone uh, loss win loss win, and not just losing winning and losing, but basically being a completely different side every week for the for the past four four tests. And so, it, if they can actually show a bit of consistency, then I'll, I'd probably agree with Hamish and say, yeah, we could probably win out for the rest of the year. I don't think they will. I think there's, there might be at least a couple of losses to come. Um, that, that game at Twickenham is looking really significant right now because I think that it's one where you could probably really measure a team's um, run into the World Cup, like where they're really looking looking like right now um, because for, I think next year for the Six Nations, it's not going to be that big a deal for those, for those teams. Like They're probably going to keep some stuff stored away, but this this game for England and the All Blacks <clears throat> is is a real marker for for where they're at in the World Cup. And if the All Blacks lose that, then there is no uh, there is no right of reply after that for the rest of the summer. Um, and we're going to end up with a situation where we had 
last year. Um, so I think that they they really need to string two good performances together in this Bledisloe Cup series. They've got the advantage of playing at Eden Park in the, in the second one. Um, but it is worth remembering that the Wallabies have been just as up and down. You know, you, like, you would have backed them to beat the Springboks on the weekend. They, they got thumped. Um, the Springboks have gone from good to bad on a weekly basis as well. And obviously the Argentinians went from creating history to getting their ass kicked. So everyone's kind of in the same boat uh, at the moment. It's made for a great rugby championship, but um, it's a, it's pretty uh, interesting territory for an, for, for an All Black fan because you're feeling you, you get to you get to understand what it's like to be a rugby fan in other countries, I guess. Yeah, yeah, indeed. All right, this is the panel. Jamie Wall and Hamish Bidwell with us. We'll be back with more talking Warriors, tennis at the US Open and the Farah Palmer Cup as well after the latest in news and sport from Araha. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 24 away from 11 here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball. In for him, Jamie Wall, Hamish Bidwell with us. And uh, gentlemen, Farah Palmer Cup semis over the weekend saw Auckland and Canterbury progress to the final, which is going to be this weekend. It's also been announced by Kendra Coxedge. It's going to be uh, her last game in the red and black. She's going to bow out of all rugby after the World Cup as well. She's going to play the 100th game in this final, uh, Jamie, what do you think her legacy is going to be like for the women's game when she goes? Oh, I think she's already cemented it uh, as the the best, the greatest Black Fern of all time, um, uh, just to sheer longevity uh, and uh, commitment, and also being. Uh, and you know this is no means way to, to denigrate women's rugby, but she she is the rare case of of a player who picked the game up as her first sport um, from from a young age and progressed through in what we I guess we'd say the sort of traditional way that um, you would you would make uh, a national team, um, which is which is great because that's if if women's rugby is to sort of achieve parity and. Uh, in, in the country, like that's that's what is needed. Uh, you know, it's all well and good to have um, former netballers and volleyballers and, and whoever else, but you need players like Kendra Coxedge, who rugby is their main sport, it's their passion, it's their what they what they they're going to do their whole lives. So, for her to come through and be able to bow out um, in a final, um, even though it's for Canterbury, uh, is, uh, is is a pretty incredible achievement. Um, I would be really interested when it's all sort of said and done to hear her story on the way the last year and a half have unfolded because um, just like her her view on the on the dramas and things that have happened with the Black Ferns and and you know how this season is going to play out because I think she'd probably have a lot to say a lot of interesting things to say about that um, and yeah I think that. Uh, the the other good thing about the Farrah Palmer Cup is as a whole is at least this this time around we are getting the Black Ferns uh, in the final. Last year's one uh, was uh, unfortunately turned into a, a bit of a um, a bit of a, a, a non-event just because uh, all the players were taken out. Um, they had a substandard referee and the game itself was of quite low quality compared to. Um, some of the other games that we'd, we'd seen um, that year. But this year's been trucking along quite nicely. Um, and, yeah, looking forward to a really good final.
Yeah, um, uh, and, and maybe maybe Kendra Coxhedge uh, wants to write a book, Jamie. I don't know. Maybe there's a phone call to be made there. Um, oh. hey, <laughs> Hamish, uh, what about oh, you? I mean, how how how, t- how tough is she going to be replace uh, to replace for the Black Ferns after that World Cup? Well, you saw that a bit of the Adelaide Oval. She didn't play that test against the Wallaroos, and the team, coincidence or not, struggled. Um, in terms of the competition, yeah. Like we're really lucky with the Black Fern 7s. They're an elite team, like super elite. Um, the Black Fern 15s are getting there. They're certainly blessed with really good backroom staff. I wouldn't mind some of those blokes actually working with the All Blacks instead of the Black Ferns. But if I look at the competition, it's not high-performance sport. There are still a lot of people making up the numbers. They're not, they're not great athletes, and that's the challenge for rugby in New Zealand. Is, yeah, we've got some really great elite players, especially in the 7 side side of things, but we need to lift the overall standard of, of the athletes and the conditioning and, and just their general rugby skills if we want the Black Ferns 15 team to be an elite team because the, the, the competition itself is still pretty mediocre. Yeah, speak, uh, speaking of, uh, of of also reigns and making up the numbers, the Warriors. Um, season is done, uh, Hamish, uh, and they went out in the most Warriors fashion possible, didn't they? Yeah, I was thrilled. Like, I'm a genuine rugby league fan. It would be my number one sport. And, you know, a guy like Titans, Captain Tino Fasamola Awi, he's like a great guy. He's just tried so hard for that team this year. They've been a, a bit of a failing team, the Titans. They made the playoffs last year. Their expectations that they would do so again. But he's never stinted in his effort. He's never complained. He just got out there and played harder every week and tried to lift this team. And, you know, put a guy like that in the Warriors, a guy who doesn't cut corners, a guy who doesn't make excuses, a guy who gives absolutely everything of himself every week, and you will be more competitive. I mean, that club in the last few weeks has relied upon playing back in Auckland, and that sort of lifted them. They've been abysmal and given up away from home. So to see them lose at home to a, to a battling team <laughs> was pretty fitting. I enjoyed that. I think um, we're far, we give them far too easy ride in this country. I think we, we're far too accepting of their failings and while we do that, they'll continue to fail. Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, Jamie, I don't know what you thought of uh, of the Warriors' homecoming, uh, three games they had at the end of the season. Um, I did my picks, my, my NRL picks for the weekend. I got seven from eight. The one I got wrong was I thought these two teams are pretty closely matched. Warriors being at home should get them should get them over the line. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd just like to say, uh, give a big middle finger to the Warriors because I was writing a match report uh, about that uh, in very stressful circumstances because, of course, it was finishing just as the All Blacks were starting and I had to cover that game as well. Um, so that made for a really <clears throat> rough 10 minutes um, having to re- rewrite the whole bloody thing. Um, another another fantastic example of the Warriors getting knifed by one of their former players as well um, with Paul Turner scoring the, uh, the try that sent it to um, Golden Point. Um, I believe that that number's up well up into around sort of 15, 16 times that's happened now um, where the Warriors have lost a game on account of a player that they've let go um, doing that to them. Um, nice little, so there's a nice little stat for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, I will cut them some slack in terms of them giving up uh, when being away from home. You know, like they, they were clearly out of finals contention a long time ago. Um, they needed to reconnect with their fans uh, more than anything else, um, which they have done. You know, they've had they've had good crowds uh, coming in. Um, you you can say what you want about the Warriors, but you 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 have to sort of tip your hat at the almost delusional, delusionally um, positive support that they that they enjoy 
um, from their fans. And that says a lot about what that club has done uh, marketing themselves to a, a very loyal loyal fan base that they can be this bad and still have that many people showing up uh, and enjoy the sort of corporate and um, media support that they get. So you know something's going right there. Yeah, well, yeah, well something's going somewhere there uh, at the Warriors. We'll have to see if they can turn that around next season. And finally, gentlemen, uh, the US Tennis Open is on at the moment. Today, I'm looking forward to it at 1 o'clock. Uh, Daniel Medvedev takes on Nick Kyrgios. Now, Nick Kyrgios, I don't know how this works, but he's seeded 23rd for the tournament. But with the bookies at the beginning of the tournament, he was the fourth favourite because he has found some form at the slams and has been a bit more consistent. Uh you looking forward to this match, Hamish, and, 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 and where are you with the US Tennis Open? Is it something that grabs your attention? I don't watch any tennis. I don't read about it. I don't care about it. I think it's junk. <laughs> Beautifully said. Uh, short, sharp, and to the point. What about you, Jamie? Are you interested to see how Kyrgios goes against uh, Medvedev? Yeah, I've always enjoyed the um, US Open because it's obviously at the, the friendliest uh, viewing time um, around here because you can you can watch in the morning and these are probably my t- the two most compelling players or men's players in uh, in the game uh, at the moment. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and if if they start interacting with the crowd, um, which they both have a, a long history of of doing, um, that'll make it really uh, an extra it, it, but, but a bit extra on what should be a top quality match. Anyway, and I feel like the winner of this one could probably have a pretty decent case of being the favourite to go on and win the whole thing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be giving giving it a watch. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we can see a bit of fireworks. Yeah, fingers crossed. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today on the panel, and go well, enjoy your week. Cheers, mate. There we go. Jamie Wall and Hamish Bidwell with us. Uh, Hamish, not a tennis fan. I don't know if you picked that up, but there you go. Uh, keep your texts coming through, double eight, double three, double eight, double three. Uh, credit to Foster. Everyone wanted changes to the starting lineup, including me, but he's trusted his players. That's from Chris. Thanks very much for your text, Chris. Keep those coming through. It is a quarter to 11 when we come back. We're going to update Love Racing with Mark Layden. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yeah, big uh, part of the good oil who always get you a winner is Mark Clayton. He joins us for the Love Racing update. G'day, Clayton. How are you? Ricardo, how's it all going? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Uh, what was the what was happening over the weekend, mate? What's the what's the big news from your end? Well, it was quite a big weekend of racing last week. We had the O'Leary Phillies Classic and the Wanganui Guineas. And, gee, to make it pretty tough, two maidens won it. Hadn't won a race before, so Rockaberry for Anna Clement, uh, Rockababy for Anna Clement, and that was a great result. And it was Anna's first uh, black-type winner, listed event, so really special moment around that. Aside, the uh, Quinella for the Cyrell Rocker from Westbury Stud. And, of course, uh, she's dominant too good for Hamish Allrett in there, or Fraser Allrett in the... Um, Wanganui Guinea, so pretty tough to at the office on Saturday, and yesterday we had Pakaranga Hunt Cup Day, normally at Ellerslie, but uh, transferred to Tarapa, as all the jumping jumps are, and, oh, Pakaranga Hunt finished, well, you want to go and have a look at that finish, Ricardo, two of our best jockeys, Sean Phelan and Aaron Kuru, who's now based in Australia, Aaron Kuru's nearly pulled off a masterclass, 
Magic Wonder has gone under, but only just, no tip, just too good, just to cap off a fantastic season for Paul Nelson and Karina McDougall, the trainers, and Sean Phelan as the jockey. But here, yeah, a little punch in the shoulder past the post from Aaron, you got me. But it was a certainly, yeah, got the old hairs on the back end, Nick standing up. It was a classic. Yeah, nice. Good stuff, Clado. Hey, thanks for coming on, mate. We'll catch up with you soon. Okay, Ricardo. Thank you. Cheers. There you go. That is your Love Racing update here on Mornings with Smithy Ricardo in the hot seat for him. Uh, loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews and more. When we come back, it's Paul Whitey from the TAB. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The fence a bit sloppy there for the Titans. Fast play the ball. Warriors got a big roll on onto the right here. Here's Welsh. Great pass to Arthurs. First try, Jesse Arthurs. On that part of the field. Whoops, wobbly pass. Oh, watch what he's a Lesnar. Magic hands. Still the last play here. Is Marju. Cut the offload away. Turner, great hands. Now it might be space on the left here. Fermoir. Fermoir, it's a two The scores are locked up with 30 seconds left. Where are they going to go now? They're going now. It's back to Tanner Boyd. Tanner Boyd for the win. Tanner Boyd He's got it. wins the game for the Titans. Yeah, the Titans getting up over the Warriors after being 16 points down and I think they scored three tries in the last 10 minutes to take that to Golden Point and then won it in Golden Point. Uh, not the way the Warriors wanted the season to end. Uh, joining us now, the voice of rugby league, the eel whisperer, Andrew Voss. Uh, Vossi, uh, what, what did you make of that schmozzle? Oh, Ricardo. Yeah, look, I, I, I go back to when I was calling on uh, Sky Sports there with um, Daryl Halligan. We used to say Warriors games. We used to joke about it, but it was serious. Warriors games don't begin to the last 10 minutes. You know, they could be they could be 18 down or 18 up. Um, anything could still happen. And you say last 10. It was actually the last six. If you, it's, it's, it's a 14-point lead with six to go. And it... <laughs> Uh, then it goes and they lose Golden Point as well. I mean, it's really disappointing given the crowd there and all of that. It would have just left a, a nice taste in the mouth and said it's a bitter taste in the mouth to end the year having that result. Um, I guess there's some supporters that might feel fortunate. I must say I'm a, li- a little amused by the shots after the game. David Vito, Tino, they were down to their undies coming off the field. They gave away everything they had on themselves. Everything went. I don't know whether they even gave away their GPS things off their back. <laughs> But they were giving it away to the fans walking around the ground, and they go off in what we would call in Australia their Reg Grundies. Yeah, um, right. so that was quite a moment. Yeah, that was a moment, mate. That was a moment. Uh, we saw, uh, you know, some some different reactions at the end of the game. I mean, Chanel Harris Tavita in in tears. I, I think probably tears of relief that he doesn't have to come mm. back to that Mister Mor- uh, next next season. Um, uh, Reese Walsh as well. He was desperate to get back on. I'm not quite sure who's in charge of his haircuts though. Vossi was a bit dumb and dumber, wasn't it? Well, I don't want to go areas on haircuts. You know, my, my days of fashion are well behind me if they were ever ever existed. Um, but um, what I will say about the Warriors and the Titans, look, I don't know. I know the Titans feel a little bit better because they got the win. Both have to be honest here right now and real honest about what they achieved this year because it wasn't much. Um, you know, the Titans can look at a few performances lately where they've you know got a couple of wins and big scores. Seriously, they've played. You know, they played in the finals last year and they were a contender for the wooden spoon this year and finish on 14 points. So, 
if you're only winning six games in the season out of your what your your twenty four, you know you're winning twenty five percent of your games. You have not had a you've not had a good year, and that said about Titans, Knights, Warriors, Tigers have had an awful season. Bulldogs improved a little on last year, but obviously, I, I, yeah, you've got to be disappointed. You've got to be honest. Seagulls, Dragons, Broncos. I reckon. There's a distraught bottom eight this year. You, you, where, where's the positive news? It's sometimes you get, you know, a team can finish tenth, and you say, "Oh, that, you know, that's good." You know, that was. I'm telling you, the bottom eight sides this year. Uh, yeah, the Broncos had it going and just lost it. Manly absolutely crashed and burned at the end of the season. The Dragons, their fans feel very underwhelmed. It's a it's a poor bottom eight this year, Ricardo. A really poor bottom eight. Yeah, and as you said, probably the only team that could take any solace out of the bottom eight this year is the is the Dogs, given they know what yeah. they've got coming next year and 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 the changes afoot. What did uh, uh, what did you make of? The NRL draw for next season coming out, and the Warriors only having nine games at, at, at Mount Smart. There was a, certainly Sean Johnson wasn't happy. Tohu Harris wasn't. Well, I don't think anybody, mm. any Kiwi League fan, was happy. Uh, the NRL made a lot of noise about the sacrifice the Warriors have made and wanting to make it up for them, and then turn around and did sod all by the looks of things. Yeah, well, if that if that's right about the Magic Round that the Warriors that counts as a a home game, then that's that would be totally wrong. Um, but again, I, I go back to the bigger issue. Um, you know. I, I don't think you can just walk away from the sacrifice of the last two years. I don't think we just carry on next year and say things are now back to normal. No, there needs to be compensation from a, a thankful rugby league public because, again, if you read the room, I'm telling you, Ricardo, sitting here in Australia today with rugby league fans, they remain very gracious and very thankful for what the Warriors did and there would be no complaints from... Oh, there, look, there may be some from the minority, but the majority of fans would say, ah, idea of every game the Warriors play next year is in New Zealand, so all their away games are somewhere across New Zealand. I reckon the majority of fans would say, that's fair, cop. That's that's fair enough. So, you know, I, I think we've missed the opportunity to uh, to put a real shot in the arm for the game to not only repay Warriors fans, but it's repaying rugby league fans across New Zealand. And it's also helping the game of rugby league after two years without elite competition um, being played in New Zealand. Uh, a missed opportunity not to do that. Now, we know that the Warriors are going to have a new coaching staff next season. Uh, we know the Tigers will. We know the Dogs will. Yeah. Uh, but there are a couple of teams that you mentioned there whose coaches might be a bit nervous in the off-season. Um, Anthony Griffin, Kev Walters, maybe. I don't know. Maybe even potentially Des Hasler. Um, wow. what, are you, what are you hearing? Anything? Well, given their their uh, finishes, I had Matty Johns on my breakfast program here in Sydney today, and you know he said, you know, w- what happened to the Broncos? It's not just the now, the effect it has on their entire off season into the start of next season. They're just under pressure now. There's no relaxing off season. They're under pressure from the first day of off season training. You know, if they start, all these teams that have faltered at the end of the season this year, you know, if Manly keep Des Hasler and start next year one and five. You know, Broncos stand by Kevin Walton and they're one and five. You know, one win, four losses to start next year. Same with Titans. Titans start next year poorly. The pressure is just, it'll just be beyond the roof. It, it, you know, the, as I said, the bottom eight this year, boy, oh boy, uh, there's some, <laughs> there's some soul searching and honesty sessions and look at your playing rosters and, and ask blokes, really challenge them. Do you think you went as well as you could? Do you care enough? I mean, Again, I'm seeing players... So Cameron Smith made this observation, the GOAT, made this observation of Brisbane. 
You tell me if this is right or wrong. So Brisbane get towed up by 50 you know, consecutive weeks, and then after full time, they're around the ground doing selfies. Now, are you obliged to do that to the fans, or would it be more accepted if that player walks off embarrassed and goes to the dressing rooms than smiling for selfies around the ground? Cameron said when they lost, it was like a morgue, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you, you couldn't muster a smile. No, you can't do anything. Do these players care enough? I think the fans are entitled to ask. Do they actually care enough? Have they tried as hard as they could? Because I've watched Manly the last five, six weeks, and there's no way they've tried. They've tried, but they haven't tried hard enough. No way have they done it. And the Tigers yesterday was like watching first grade play under 12s. You you score, you then get the ball from the kickoff, you score again. You get the ball from the kickoff, you score again. I mean, that's kids' footy. <laughs> but these blokes are on salary caps of, you know, combined eight, nine, ten million dollars. And where's the output? Where's the return? I just didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, that has called a few people to, to question too whether or not there is the depth of talent and rugby well, league to continue to expand the NRL. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out early doors next year with uh, mm. the Dolphins in the competition. So, you know, we have another squad of 30 in the elite competition, and <laughs> we did joke today. Actually, that was one thing Cameron said. He said, well, Tigers fans, at least the positive is the only way is up. And someone got on the open line and corrected him. said, no, actually, they could go down. Because <laughs> you could finish 17th <laughs> next year rather than 16th with the Dolphins in the competition. Yes, depth is a problem, but I, I just saw this year maybe... It just seemed to me more than other years, teams absolutely dropped their bundle. I just, you know, we talk about, we used to say consistency was the most sought-after commodity, but I think now resilience is the most sought-after commodity in rugby league with your teams. I mean, you just got to find a way to be resilient. And and I saw it again with Newcastle yesterday, Ricardo. You know, half-time, 12 all, you know, having a crack. Then they make an error from the kickoff. And within six minutes, 12 all has become 24-12 down, and they're gone. You know what I mean? And I see it too much of these these clubs that have missed the finals. Resilience is not a factor with them. No, you're right there, mate. It isn't. Uh, there, a lot of them have, however you want to put it, been on the beach, put the queue in the rack uh, the last yeah. few rounds. Actually, something that I thought the AFL did, uh, Vossian, I think you know that they tend to think out of the box a bit more than the people running the NRL. Um, what they did, you know, we had that situation when the Panthers rested 14 or whatever it was for the last game of the season. Well, the AFL, they have, they have a break for a week, obviously, um, and everybody has a week off, so you don't run into that problem. But they use that week to launch the AFLW and then all eyes are on the women's game because there is no other footy. Um, mm. Is that something that you'd like to see the NRL look at? Well, no, I'm not really for... See, see, my view on Penrith, they, they, I sort of tend to more... Lead, even though I'm not comfortable with it, you know, like I feel as if, you know, as a fan, you want to see your best team. If you're an away fan, you want to see the best team come and play. But I think Penrith earned the right to do whatever they like, you know, really, because they'd wrapped up the minor premiership. So it's just the way the cookies... Would they have done it at a home game? That's probably the hypothetical we won't know the answer to. Would they have done what they did if they were playing at home in front of their home fans? I say they wouldn't. They would have played some of the players, but it was just a logistic thing. It's in Townsville and all of that. So do you want them preparing and going through the game day experience? Well, no. But I, I don't like the artificially... You know, part of the season is attrition, I believe. You know, and you, and so be it. If you get to the back end of the season and you got the players with you know a dozen niggles and all of that, no, I don't give them the week off. Attrition is part of the quality of the eventual premier. Um, so I'm not a fan of that. If you if you get a week off, you earn it. 
you know, you win this week. Penrith win this week now. They get a week off, week two of the finals. Or Cronulla or the Cowboys win this week. Or Parramatta. They earn the week off rather than every team just being given, you know, across the board blanket blanket uh, week off. Yeah, all right. No, fair. And I yeah, think uh, that that is a fair point. They have earned it. They, they weren't in any danger of losing top spot. Uh, but this weekend, uh, the Panthers play their bogey team, the, Pan- uh, the Parramatta Eels. And... They're currently playing, uh, paying the Eels three bucks. They've beaten the uh, the Panthers twice this season, and if the secret weapon, Andrew Voss, is calling that game, it, it, it's nailed Ooh. on, isn't it? You just take that to the it's bank. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's bizarre. So I'm ten from ten calling Parramatta games this year, and that's some big matches. You know, not games where they were favourites. I've they've, they've won every game I've called. Now I do not have my Fox League commentary schedule, so I cannot give you any breaking news this morning. I don't even have a whisper. I have not even a heads up of where I might likely be calling this weekend. But on Parramatta, after last weekend, yes, they can win it. I will make that statement. But I don't think they win if they had to play four weeks in a row. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like, if, if the finals are a new competition, Parramatta... Uh, having only won three in a row, they've they've done no better than three in a row. Having only won three in a row twice this year, then maybe that's their limit. So they can get up for three weeks in the finals, which would be this week, win, get the week off, win the preliminary final, then the grand final. But I don't know whether they lose this week and then go into sudden death situation. Um, Parramatta on the side of the draw that they would be playing the winner of the Storm and the Raiders. You know, they, they could be playing Melbourne um, week two of the finals. Well, coming off defeat and Melbourne coming off a win or Canberra. Um, so, yeah. Parramatta, definitely Ricardo, get excited. But, boy, oh, boy, what a first week of the finals. Um, they beat Penrith three in a row. Mm. My goodness. That'll be something. It will be. Yeah. Do you, any idea, uh, Vossi, where you sit in the, uh, in the in the Dally M consideration, given that you've uh, been there for 10 wins on the trot for the years? Myself, <laughs> yeah. at the Parramatta Season Awards, you're yeah. saying that I'm going to get the Clubman of the Year or yeah. something so like I that. Think Is so, that right? yeah. the players play? Well, they get to the no. grand final. I think you're a shout for the uh, Clive Churchill. I hope they've got a grand final well, medal for you. I hope they've requested one. Oh, I would say the league fun. would have to step in at that point. Mm. If if I if I'm twelve from twelve with Parramatta and they make the grand final, I think the league has to step in and said, "Well, that's unfair. Mm. We can't have this juju as part of a factor on a, a competition with integrity." I think I would have to be wiped out. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. wiped d- out, Russian style. Russians, Russians, yeah. though. You'd just be on Parramatta Club Radio calling at the club and be like, Voss, whatever it. you need, whatever you need, yeah. just call the game, just call the game. Uh, how do you think the finals are, are shaping up? Because we've got some great matchups here. Um, and I know the Roosters Rabbitohs played each other on the weekend. The Roosters won that reasonably comfortably, but uh, the Rabbits will have Damien Cook back mm. and, and the Roosters could be without a few. How, how, how do you think that's going to go? Well, stand corrected. I've, you know, as you get older, your, your memory goes a little bit. But th- this is as, a, as an exciting week one finals lineup as I've ever come across. There's no cannon fodder in this final series. Sometimes you get a team that sort of you know limped in um, to the finals. In fact, that happens often. Uh, or a team that's you know, got in there and you think, well, just making week one of the finals. They've done well. Now see you later. And I guess last year that was probably the Gold Coast Titans. They won only. 10 of 24 last year and made the finals and got knocked out the first week, albeit in very close circumstances. But the the eight teams are, are absolutely genuine, um, genuinely deserve their places. And there is momentum, you know, with the Roosters, with the Raiders, teams in the bottom four. And then you've got a heavy hitter like Melbourne and last year's grand finalists in the bottom four, South Sydney, 
That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. And what Cronulla have done this year to secure second place, only the fourth time in their history, Ricardo, they've come second. Um, and the previous three times they've made the grand final when they finished second. What the Cowboys have done, thoroughly deserved. You know, the, the, the defence is real. The defensive numbers around the Cowboys is real. Penrith backing up a third year of excellence, you know, beaten in 2021 last year and now minor premiers again. That is great. And Parramatta, momentum, playing their best football of the season right now. So I'm as excited about this final series starting as any I can remember. That's how good it is. Right. Yeah, it's a fantastic series. Looking forward to it. Can you please message me as soon as you know if you're calling the, the, yeah, the power game? Yeah. Well, there'll be a, there'll be a press conference. Oh, obviously. Uh, there will be a press conference to announce that. Uh, I'll be in front of sort of a Parramatta signage, and, and, and certainly I've got no bias. I mean, I can't explain how it's happened. It's just the way the... The marbles have fallen. Never happened in my commentary career. I'm sure you could go over. There's probably been years where I may have called a side, you know, three or four times. I might have won all four, but I've never done that volume of games and never had that team lose. Just, just, <laughs> I, I can't explain it. So, yep, no, there'll be a press conference and, uh, and there'll be an autograph session and a book signing and that after it. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, Fossey. Go well, mate, and uh, we'll catch up with you next Monday, eh? Yeah, hey, Warriors fans, see you next year. Look forward to game one next year. Have a good off-season. It's going to be good. It's going to be good uh, to be back uh, kicking off a new season with a new squad, new coach, all of the rest of it. This is how the final series shapes up at the TAB. The Panthers are $1.37 favourites to be the Eels are paying threes. That's the Friday night game. On Saturday, the early game is the Storm against the Raiders. Raiders outside is paying three twenty. The Storm are $1.33. Uh, it's pretty good value on the Raiders, actually. I mean, I think the Storm would definitely be uh, favourites, but I don't think the Raiders are three twenty outsiders. Uh, the Sharks dollar seventy to beat the Queensland and North Queensland Cowboys, who are two eleven. Uh, that is the closest market in the final series for the weekend. And then the Roosters are dollar fifty eight. South Sydney Rabbitohs two dollars thirty. It is twenty past eleven here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. He has tremendous golf acumen, so he won't want to run this a long way by. But here he still has to hold that one. Got Steve Johnson. Up he goes! Victory for Dustin Johnson! On the first playoff hole in Live Golf history! Extraordinary by DJ! There you go. That is uh, the Rebel Tour, if you like, uh, the uh, the Live Golf Tour, and uh, Dustin Johnson taking that out. I don't know how impressive that feat is because he's basically just playing a bunch of old guys and a bunch of amateurs who never cut it as pros, isn't he? Uh, is that, is that, it's kind of how I understand it at, at the moment, Logan. Oh, easy on there, mate. I don't know. If we're talking about the Rebel Tour, I guess perhaps I'm a rebel now because uh, I've been watching a lot of the Live Tour this weekend with Cameron Smith making his debut. And I think that's kind of turned a corner. You know, they had their first ones in like London and Portland and that, and it just wasn't that great. The turnout wasn't very good. The YouTube numbers weren't very good. It all, it's only available on YouTube at the moment, by the way. But tuning at like 180,000 on, on YouTube there for the final round, that was pretty awesome to watch. It definitely wasn't just Dustin Johnson a bunch, and a bunch of bums. Uh, it went down to a three-way playoff. 
to decide who was going to win in Boston there between DJ Lahiri and uh, Neiman. Lee Westwood, kind, Lee Westwood sorry, kind of dipped off the air towards the end, as did Cameron Smith. He was right there in the hunt all the way up until the 17th, 18th hole. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he did great. Cam Smith, of course, being his first one, he gave a few uh, impressions of his time out there as well. I'm with Cam Smith. Talk about your first experience with Live Golf 63 today. That was incredible. Yeah, that was a uh, it was a good week out there. Um, you know, I thought I was really out of it yesterday. I uh, played pretty poorly, but uh, to get out here today and and do what I did was pretty cool. And um, yeah, just an unfortunate bogey there on on the second last hole, and uh, may may cost me a spot in the playoff. Well, what worked for you today? I have to say, live golf is normally loud, but it was almost deafening out here. That it was so quiet, and the fans were really rooting for you. So, what worked for you today? Um, yeah, I'd like to think I've got a pretty good following here in Boston. Um, every time I come up here, there's people rooting for me. I don't know if it's the hair or something. I'm not sure, but uh, no, it, it was great out there today. Um, you know, the competition here is is fantastic. It's it's loud. It feels like the course has got a heartbeat, and uh, I love that. And I can't wait to keep going. Well, thank you. We're so glad to see you out here. Thank you. There you go. That is uh, Cameron Smith, uh, the golfer, not the league player. Um, I'll, I'll th- mind you, to be honest, I wouldn't put, put, put anything past the Live Golf Tour the way they uh, recruiting has been um, to, to get this thing off the ground. Um, <laughs> that seems to be changing a wee bit, though, Logan. They, 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 it started off very much that, you know, guys at the wrong end of their career mm. making a money grab, but they have, uh, particularly the Aussies, they've grabbed a few of the big Aussies, haven't they? Yeah, well, Cameron Smith, Mark Leishman, and, you know, Cameron Smith being the number one or yeah, num- number one, number two, sorry, second <laughs> player in the world. Uh, and he's the biggest name to go so far. Uh, who's to say who comes next? You know, PGA Tour obviously have made a bunch of announcements uh, via Rory and Tiger sitting everyone down and being like, look, we need to do something about the rebel scum, as, as you put it. Yeah. And, you know, changes are happening. You know, they're going to have some guaranteed money there, a lot more, you know, stipends as well to sort of help pay with their travel and stuff. So, you know, even if you miss a cut, you're still going to get some money, which, I mean, that's a great step in the right direction there. Uh, but I think potentially Liv is onto something here now, and the Shark has now also said that shorts are allowed on course. So if uh, if you're a golfer that wants to wear shorts rather than pants, I don't know if that helps you in some way, maybe a level of comfort that you didn't experience before. But Depends how hot it is. It does depend how hot it is. I mean, it's often like this, you know, something like this, whether you support it or not, ends up impacting on um, the the powers that be and on mm. the on the traditional structure. So we're seeing players sticking with the PGA also benefiting from Live Golf being around. But Absolutely. like like Super League, generally these two things, they both can't exist for any length of time, particularly if Live Golf doesn't have a TV deal yet. I mean, how long can they exist on YouTube for? Yeah, there's a weird little power balance going on there at the moment, isn't there? And I mean, from what I've read is that Liv, you know, in this first season, they're kind of just feeling things out at the moment and, you know, knocking out any little kinks. And then they are looking for a TV slash, maybe just a direct streaming deal. Maybe it could just be Apple TV or something like that, which personally I wouldn't be a big fan of. That kind of thing works great for American and potentially European audiences. Uh, but from experiences that I've had, say, with like following like Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, it definitely doesn't help this part of the world. Uh, even though I've got an MLB TV subscription, there are games that are exclusive to Apple TV. And despite the fact that Apple 
TV does exist in New Zealand and Australia, those games aren't available to us, which I think is ridiculous. That's so weird. Yeah. So there's little weird things like that that could potentially hurt fans in this part of the world if that's the way live go. So, but already there's a lot of golf on our TV screens at the moment, right? On on Sky with the PGA, the DP Tour, and the LPGA. So, for there to be more, I know there's going to be <laughs> more channels uh, around on Sky. So it'll be interesting to see how things go there. But you're right, they can't survive forever without a TV deal, and I think they're aware of that. And then it also kind of depends on where does it go from here. Do do you then sort of try and make nice with the PGA? Do you then come back together and sort of create this thing that you haven't had before? Who knows? Who knows indeed. Live can eat my shorts, says Craig on double eight double three. Not a fan. Fair enough, Craig. Fair enough. I know Smithy would definitely be with you. Hey, just about time to play uh, Stumped by Ricardo. We have a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. So call us now 0800 150811 0800 150811 to be in to win with that. The latest in and sport from Araha right now. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for the moment you've all been waiting for here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith away on cricketing duties and we have Ricardo Ball in the hot seat. Ricardo, I know previously you don't have a very good track record, let's be fair. Al. Thanks. Yeah, yep. unstumped. <laughs> this is me pumping you up. Right. I, I want to get this up to uh, at least 150 this week, if we can. So Okay, all right. Hopefully you've been scrubbed up on your knowledge there over the weekend. Of course, uh, $50 TAB bonus be up for grabs today to start things off on the Monday. First at the crease, though, we have Gareth from the Great Palmy North. Come in, Gareth. Hey, mate, how are you? Yeah, doing good. How are you feeling about Stump today? Well, good that Ricardo's round, not Smithy. He's usually easy me, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fighting talk off the bat, Gareth. Fighting talk off the bat. Yeah, that's what I like. Bit of sledging to start the game. Here we go. The categories for you today are rugby, boxing, and the NFL. Take your pick. Oh, we'll get boxing, eh? Oh, boxing is something that Ricardo likes, but a rumble on the radio. Here we go. Good luck to you both. He takes boxing classes too, FYI. Uh, first question, rising Kiwi pro boxer David Nika had an amazing amateur career and has re- recently switched focus to the pro ranks for an unbeaten run to date. How many pro wins has David earned? Oh. Jesus. I'll go 10. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo. It's not many. I think it's 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 pretty it's pretty light. I think one. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Why are we so programmed to think that if someone says not many Someone else has to chip in with, if any. <laughs> yeah, have you heard that? That was Brian in the background. Uh, the correct answer is four. Four. Mm, okay. Second question, Gareth. What bout is on the line when Joseph Parker meets Joe Joyce on September 24th? Uh, WBO. What division? Oh, heavyweight. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot. 
underwear it goes. To be completely correct, it'd be the interim belt. Interim belt. Yes, oh. but I will I will give oh, well, Gareth that. Very fussy normally, Logan, about making sure you get things exactly <laughs> oh, here right. Go. Here we go. <laughs> let's let's not bring up your uh, ge- your geography about Teatitu, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Final question for you, Gareth. Fifty dollar TAB yeah. bonus bet on the line here. Usyk recently outpointed Anthony Joshua to retain his four of the five major titles. The Gypsy King Tyson Fury holds that fifth one. Which belt does he hold? Oh, it's the IBF. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. So he's pausing for a little bit of uh, tension there. Ricardo, mm, over to yeah. you. Nicely done, nicely done. I like I like the pause. Um, hmm, I, are you counting the Ring Magazine belt, which is the overall one where they, they don't take any of the different... Uh, Championships into into account or not? Um, I'm going to say the WBC. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and the way it goes. Yeah, you're right, mate. We're jackpotting up to $100 tomorrow Boom. because it is the WBC heavyweight championship bout. That is what is. Gareth, eat my shorts. <laughs> right there, right there, stumped, ripped the bales off. <laughs> mate, next time I'm down at the fat lady's arms, I'll uh, I'll give you a call and we'll get it done there. Okay, mate. See you then. See you there. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, it's, on. Go. it's on. It's on. It's on. I, I had two of the three. Yeah, for some reason, I thought David Nika had only had one pro fight and then he went back to amateurs to prepare for the Com Games and then got that injury. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to do some more homework, obviously, Logan. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, uh, if you even need to know anything, just make sure you hit up our man Brian here because he's the one that does all the great research there mm, for when we have work, questions Brian. about boxing and stuff like that. Yeah, no, good work, Brian. Good work. Uh, keep it up. Uh, I, do, I can update you uh, on the tennis too because Kyrgios Medvedev is underway into the first set and about halfway through the first set and it's on serve. Kyrgios leading 3-2. to two. Medvedev about to start serving uh, the sixth game of the first set and Whoever wins this will win. Uh, will play the winner of Karen Kachnov and uh, Pablo Karina Busta. Uh, that one is very tight. In the fourth set at the moment, Karina Busta currently serving to make it to a piece. Uh, we'll keep you updated with that. Keep your calls and texts coming through. Double eight double three is the Temper Bed Post text machine, or you can call us on 0800 150 811. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a quarter to 12 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you uh, in for Ian Smith. Smithy is, of course, in the uh, in Australia for the Black Caps uh, Aussie Chapel Hadley series, which gets underway tomorrow. We have live commentary right here on SENZ from 4 o'clock tomorrow for that. And Jim from Tamuka texted through earlier saying, Good morning, Ricardo. Does anyone know the last time the Black Caps and the All Blacks were both touring Australia at the same time? Quite unusual, or has it happened before? I'm thinking it is quite unusual, Jim. And you know, it's only really in the in this real professional era of maybe the last sort of 10, 15 years that we've had the seasons cross over like this. You know, used to be very, very separate. But I don't remember the Black Caps being in Australia at the same times as the all as the same time as the All Blacks ever before. No, neither do I. And like you said, it is kind of that crossover now because the season is so long with rugby and then cricket is sort of starting a bit earlier than normal. For them, especially for Australia and New Zealand to be playing 
uh, you know, in August. Oh no, we're in September now. Yeah, yeah. September. Yeah, it's it, it is quite early. What I remember, <laughs> anything pre twenty twenty. I mean, long time ago. But in twenty twenty was the last time that they played for the Chapel Hadley, and I just remember what is now seemingly an iconic photo of uh, Kane Williamson shaking hands with the Aussies, and then the next moment they're like, "Oh, we shook hands. We weren't meant to do that." Yeah, oh, because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, you know, it was just this whole thing. I don't think fans were allowed. I was living in Sydney at the time, and I couldn't go to that match, which I was pretty gutted about. I couldn't go to the ECG to see the boys play, and I just remember that photo. It was just a great moment. Uh, of course, uh, the results, not so memorable, but hopefully this time around they will be. Yeah, yeah. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, after the Aussies uh, lost to Zimbabwe in that uh, final ODI of their three-match uh Tour, you'd think the Aussies will be uh, pretty keen to get up and, and win game one, but we will see because, you know, the other thing that uh, we need to remember is the Black Caps are the number one ranked team in the world in ODIs, and we're a year away from the ODI World Cup. So I did see that the TAB had us as outsiders. So for the first game, uh, Australia are paying $1.51 and uh, the Black Caps are paying two forty. so it might be some money to be made there. Yeah, your multi tomorrow for the show is going to be huge on the back of that alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I'm looking forward to seeing my multi come in today, actually. <laughs> I, I'm really, I, I'm, You're I'm, confident. I'm You're confident. confident. I love that. Yeah, Ons Jabur, the Moroccan player, to beat Kudamatova uh, in the women's singles at the US Open. $1.75. Andy Ruiz to beat Luis Ortiz by decision. That fight's at about 4 o'clock on Spark. Uh, Ortiz is... Man, he is tough. He doesn't get stopped by many, if any. I think the only one to beat him is, uh, to to stop him, is Deontay Wilder. Yeah, Deontay Wilder is the only one to have stopped him. Um, And that is by decision, Ruiz by decision, 375. And then tomorrow morning, Monza, who without a point, bottom of the CDR, they've conceded, I think, 11 goals in four games, uh, playing at Atalanta, who are in the top four at $1.62. So you get all over that. It's uh, returning $10.63. And that, is going to come in uh, tomorrow morning. So uh, get on, get amongst. Logan, are you with me? Yeah, mate. Sure. I, I mean, I'm team uh, Black Caps all the way. Um, I'm really looking forward to this series. Looking forward to hearing Smithy back on the cricket commentary as well. Mm. Uh, I, I know he's really look, been looking forward to it. He's just basically, he's going to be in cricket heaven for a week there up in uh, <laughs> far north Queensland there in Cairns. Uh, with Hussey and Skull and Mal Jones and all of them, you know, the one thing I do think about is that's going to be the first time he does it, after, you know, post, well, the passing of Shane Warne. So I do wonder if that first day, there might be a little bit of emotion there. We'll, you know, we'll see come How broadcast time. But well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think most of the uh, most of the emotion will be in the post-match activities, won't it? Because uh, <laughs> I would imagine that Warney was big in leading those for the commentary themes. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Maybe now uh, Smithy has to carry, carry that flag. <laughs> I, I carry it well, he would. Carry it well, he would. I'm sure. I'm sure. It'll be interesting to see what the conditions are like in Cairns, actually, because uh, that series against Zimbabwe was played in Townsville. Uh, Cairns will be humid, but not as humid as you'd expect. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what effect that has on the ball. Whether or not that means it's going to swing a lot. If it does, then you'd think that Trent and Tim Southey would uh, come right into the mix uh, because uh, they uh, prodigious swingers of the ball in the right conditions. But we'll see. Uh, coming up next, we're going to catch up with 
Mark Stafford, who's, of course, in with Afternoons and see what's coming up after midday. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.